Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Sleep doesn't really go hand in hand with raising a little human, but there are ways to establish good sleeping foundations to help your baby have his or her best start possible. Vina Parry is a paediatric sleep consultant based in Sydney with over 15 years experience in the early childhood and education sector. Hi, Vina. How are you? Hi, I'm so good. Thank you for having me. How early can you start setting up a healthy foundation for your baby's sleep? I think really, I mean, if you want to be technical about it, it can be done um, prenatally in terms of that the first thing you would look at isn't really even to do with the baby as such yet. It's to do with the environment. So you want to figure out exactly how you want to set the foundations for sleep for your child. Are you going to, you know, bed share? Are you going to have a bassinet next to your bed? Um, The recommendation is that you room share for the first six months of life. So usually families set up a space in their own bedroom. Um, And it's about kind of looking at that sleep hygiene is what I would call it, even before the baby comes and then once the baby has arrived. So obviously, first things first, once that baby arrives, especially those first two weeks, it's all about that skin to skin, love, comfort and survival. Okay, so, you know, don't be thinking about anything quite as yet. It's just about loving that little human and being with them as much as possible. Um, Contact, sleeping, skin to skin, all that stuff. Um, And then as they become more cerebrally aware, and you know, that can happen in the first few weeks of life. But remember, technically that first 12 weeks, they are still in the fourth trimester. They're still adjusting to life outside. So you want to make everything just slow, deliberate, and gentle and little things that make all the difference is maybe just starting with a and in quotation marks bedtime routine so the first thing I would say to any parent is if you can set up the only thing I would say is demand everything like do everything on demand sleep is on demand feeding can be on demand all of it but what I would say is that if you want to have a little bit of an idea of getting into a rhythm for Bubby and you, set a start of the nighttime like routine. So say, you know, for really young babies, usually the start of night is later, like 9, 10 p.m. Um, and you want to do your bedtime routine around then. And I don't want you to think this is this huge thing that needs to be like drawn out. For a newborn, it can be two minutes. And also, you know, doctors usually don't really say you should bathe your newborn every night. So it could be as simple as every three nights you do bath, song, change, massage, bed. Um, And then the other nights you just do massage, change, bed sort of thing. And um, if you can set to a time every day, it gives you sort of a semblance of, okay, this is the 12-hour shift into nighttime and then the 12-hour daytime. Um, Other things would be, you know, they're so used to the sounds of the wombs and womb and things like that. So maybe some, I don't really believe in like industrial white noise and things like that, but sometimes like natural sounds in the background especially if like you're living in the inner city or things like that can be really calming for them because they're used to that amniotic flow of waters and that you know the heartbeat all those sounds from the womb so that can be really 
you know, cosy for them because it's reminding them of where they used to be. So I think that's a really, really great thing to do. And also um, just making sure in those early weeks that you look at day and night confusion. That can be a big thing. So just making sure that when you do shift into those 12 hours of daytime that you make sure they've got a lot of like first things first after change and cuddles and everything and maybe feeding, get some, that first feed should be done with some sun on their face. Like within reason of course but you know blinds open light things like that whereas in that 12 hour night shift you might make the room a little bit darker um doesn't have to be super dark you don't really need to look at that sort of hygiene until they're much later and more aware but it does make all the difference so with that light i just bring it up now because i remember um so when you first start feeding your baby in mm-hmm. the middle of the night you're kind of all over the shop or at least I was mm-hmm. and I reckon, Me too. <laughs> I, reckon Me too. I bought every different kind of possible night light because I needed to be able to see mm. them. Okay. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It wasn't for them. It was for me because I'm oh, like, 100%. how do I find you and then find my boob and yeah. how do I do all this? And like stay away from the online shopping in the middle oh, of yes. the night feeds. Oh, well, yes. Yeah. Didn't do that very well. But, no, neither do I. Um, so in that sense, um, when you, at what stage does light become something that will wake them up? Okay. So look, I really believe that, you know, I see it usually around that six to eight month period where they become more, um, I guess, sensitive towards light. Like even in naps, you might need to darken rooms and things like that. But what I would say in terms of, um, so, you know, I did the exact same thing that you did. I actually really recommend um, a nightlight with a red glow, Um, not necessarily like you don't need to go and spend $180 or something like that on a huge machine that, you know, does the whole gambit. But like literally I remember I was at um, the Sydney Baby Expo and I saw these beautiful um, LCD like um, Perspex nightlights and um, my husband used to make this really cute owl sound and we saw an owl one and I was like, oh my gosh, that's meant to be. And it has actually a remote with it that changes like 10 different colors so it's really good later on when you're teaching your child colors too and it's just beautiful and it comes in like robots and rockets and owls and bees and mermaids and all sorts of things and what I would do it I during a feed when it come to that wakeful period I would turn it on with that red light and the reason for red light is because it it allows that melatonin to still be produced. You use anything white, blue, green, any of the colder colors, it's going to completely be nuking yours and Bubby's melatonin hormone levels. So I would do that and I would find it would just be really relaxing. I could still see, but it wasn't going to affect, you know, my shift into sleep and also Bubby's. Um, And yeah, I think, I think it's a really, really good tool to use, but I would, I wouldn't really necessarily use light in a child's room all night long unless they're, you know, showing in or exhibiting signs of like night terrors or fear, nighttime fears and usually developmentally that's a lot older. It's a lot older. Yeah. Um, so obviously every baby is different, mm-hmm. but how can we work out the right sleep patterns and rhythms for our baby? You just mentioned there um, earlier about demand feeding and demand sleeping. Yes. Demand feeding is much easier to know because they're basically well, a lot screaming. Of yeah. And there's a lot of feeding signs. And look, there is a lot of sleep signs too. And this is sort of something I want to debunk. Um, you know, they say, I remember even with my first at a clinic appointment, um, they didn't know that I was a sleep professional and I didn't tell anyone. And there was a group of like 20 women. And um, 
I remember maybe the youngest babies there were three or four weeks old. And I remember, you know, the generalized rule was two hours up, two hours down. And look, this is just me. And I'm, I know that works for some people. So I'm not saying it doesn't work sometimes, but I just believe like with a newborn, especially, I mean, you would remember those early days. It's literally feed and then back to sleep. There's nothing else. And then it's just about looking at those signs and things like yawning, rubbing eyes. Um, that's actually already, you've missed the boat. Baby's already overtired. So you want to look before that and you will start to realize a pattern like if you pay real attention to looking at okay when are they yawning when are they rubbing their eyes and then pay attention to the 10 minutes before that you're going to start seeing a pattern of behavior and that can be as early as five six weeks you'll start to see that even earlier you know in the really early days of the fourth trimester um baby will just go to sleep usually after a feed and that's how you know but as they become more wakeful and they need a little bit more um like help with going to sleep you look at those signs and basically it's all about like every I mean gosh every child is different so I've seen I I mean I've seen three months olds that can't go more than 45 minutes in the mornings um, and then I've seen others that can stretch two hours and I would say please 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 take a personalized approach to your child you your child is the only one in the world that is your child so and they're going to be different from every other baby like I've worked with triplets and they've had different approaches so you just want to look at their what I would call tired signs and then look at their wake windows how much wake time are they actually needing you know and you kind of follow that whole I like to think about the whole wake feed play sleep what about people who have a catnapper? Because that can be something that happens. Yes. Okay. So, and and do you at any specific age, or are you just talking catnapping generally? Uh, probably sometime in the first six months. Okay. So a while ago, so. that mine was that young, but she catnapped, and yeah. it made it really tough to get her to sleep any longer. Okay. And like, so definition of catnapping is usually thirty to twenty minute cycles. Um, and what I want to say, and I, I don't know if you knew this, but to be honest, like up until six months, it's completely developmentally normal for your child's sleep cycle to be that immature, to only be 25 to 30 minutes. And that, like, don't beat yourself up if that is happening, because that is kind of, some some children's sleep cycles are only that long. So that's completely normal. Um, But what I would say is that look at how your child is being stimulated when they wake up from that cycle. If they're waking up happy and they look like they don't need any more sleep, then that's probably all they need. And I would look at doing more frequent sleeps. So they're doing shorter ones, do more frequent ones. I've had, I remember working with this family in Perth and they were doing, they had a catnapper and it was pretty developmentally appropriate and she always woke up happy. So we were like in the early days, we were doing like seven naps a day. And like, I know that's a little bit of a punish, but it doesn't mean you can't be fluid with it. Some might be at home, some might be in the pram, some might be in the car, at school drop-off, wherever. And is it possible if you've got a baby like that, that eventually their sleep will elongate? Yes. And look, a lot of people come to me with catnapping issues, sometimes before six months. And I always, the first thing I say is, look, I need you to know that could be completely developmentally appropriate. And it might be unrealistic to think that we're going to see them extend immediately because it's just not physiologically possible for them yet however with gentle sleep skills and the ones that I show and that I go through um, 
with the families I work with, when they are ready, they will just extend because they have the skills to help themselves back to sleep or with your help, you know, and, and you can always, this is a funny little tip, but, um, you can always, as your child is stirring from that first cycle, if you want to give this a go and look, it's tried and true, a little bit weird, but, um, take, like get a bath towel and put it over your face, like, which is a little bit OH&S, but like literally go in there covered up by the towel and try and rock or pat your baby back to sleep. Like, lay it on and they will sometimes go back to sleep but if you so they don't react to your face well they don't get overstimulated because obviously your face is going to be the most interesting thing in the world to them yeah so it's not about them not having the comfort of you there it's more that you don't want to overstimulate them when you are trying to get them back to sleep i'd love to see parents doing that oh my gosh i've done it (laughs) i've seriously i've been in implementations before where i'm like i know the baby is more a bit more on the alert side and so i've literally grabbed a blanket and i'm hiding in the corner like next to the cot so they don't see me <laughs> yeah but Love it. yeah so um is there a point in the baby's life mm-hmm. where you would recommend any sleep aids um in terms of d- dummies etc okay so i'm a little bit unorthodox um for most sleep professionals i love a dummy bring on the dummy um <laughs> i i mean i don't know if you're already sort of getting the gist of this but as i said i am pretty attachment parenting friendly and I focus on apart from a personalized approach to every child um, I also think that if you can provide comfort without it as I said without it um, really affecting their sleep cycles or affecting their restorative sleep then do it Um, both my kids had severe reflux so um, with our first we had a dummy pretty much immediately and look yeah it became a sleep association but I wouldn't take it back for a second because when you have a child that has that sort of issue or they might have something else going on or they're just really colicky or they're going through purple phases of crying, you're going to do anything you need to to have them happy, safe, secure and sleepy. And for me, it was thinking about, okay, well, if they don't have this, he's going to be constantly swallowing. So with reflux, right, they constantly swallow the acid down. And what the dummy does, it helps keep it down because they're constantly using that reflex to suck. And for me, it was a no-brainer. Yeah. You know? What about um, comforters and teddies and stuff? Okay. So this, I'm, I'm a little bit... The... There's many different recommendations. I'm, a, as I said, like, yes, I do. I'm completely supportive of families that want to co-sleep. And I've worked with a lot of attachment parents and co-sleeping parents even. Um, but what I would say with some lovies and comforters that are on the market, and I'm not going to name names or say anything, some actually make the wakeful periods worse due to some of the things they do. And on top of that, Look, this is just me personally. I wouldn't be putting, unless you've got a really, really movable, like your baby's like pulling up and completely mobile by like eight, nine months, I wouldn't be putting anything in the cot before 10 months, like any type of lovey comforter. Having said that, once you get to that age and you're feeling really confident about it, I mean, look, I think the guideline is after seven months, but I'd be really careful about it. Like some of the things I've seen, I'm just... And some of the materials, Mm. they're just not breathable. What about the ones, so there's lots of people, lots of sleep-deprived parents who Mm -hmm. go crazy for the... Oh, my God. I know know, know what you're going to (laughs) say. Dolls or comforters that might mimic a heartbeat Mm -hmm. or 
So those are the ones you're saying just don't don't buy into it? Look, I've heard great things about um, some with the heartbeat and then I've heard people go, that was $100 I wish I could get back. Do you know what I mean? And those are the parents that come to me. Like even, um, you know, and it goes even as far as like the bassinets that, you know, have you heard of the snoo? Yeah. The one that like rocks your baby and things yes. like that. And look, apparently you can wean off it, but I'm just not a fan like, I'm just not a fan of those things because I think that's just something you're going to have to remove later on. Or you're going to have to find a bed that yeah. rocks <laughs> Or you're going to lose $2,000 because that's how much it is. And also, I mean, it would be great. I mean, it's in, it's an ingenious idea if they had it that lasted up to five years old. Yeah. You know, but because, like, I, I literally worked with a family about two weeks ago and they'd been using it and they'd used it longer than they should have because now their baby would not go to sleep without being shaken like rocked rocked shaked to you know that that movement that vibration and they were like what do we do you know um and I guess what I meant specifically with some that some of these lovies that work against you is they sometimes have music and things like that in them um and look the music I think really and look again some people just swear by them and have at it like I'm so happy for those parents you know um but then also if you've got a pretty alert baby or things like that you're basically just inducing a sleep cycle wake up because the music turns off literally on the either 20 minutes at a sleep cycle or 45 minutes. <laughs> so unless you're ready to go in there and like keep turning it on and on, like, and again, you know, mm, but I think it's more, I think like when I introduce comforters, lovies to um, families that I work with, it's more about not helping them go to sleep. It's more about them feeling secure and having something as a, just something to love and to cuddle. Um, I had the funniest, I have the funniest story. So a family I worked with a few weeks ago, I said, look, they had been a co-sleeping from birth family and we did a very scaffolded approach and they were quite anxious about it and it went really, really well. But I said beforehand, um, it was an older baby just under 12 months. And I said, look, I want you, so something I, I really recommend is going to Ikea once baby is of a safe age, of course. And um, they have a great range of little plush toys. And the thing I love about them is they're super soft, they're cheap, um, and they also don't have marble eyes, so there's no choking hazard there with them. They're not a certified sleep toy, so I will preface by saying that. But um, I said to this family, I said, go and choose one. Like, you know, they've got a cute Simba, they've got a cat, they've got a husky, like panda, all this stuff. And then she like rang me and messaged me later that day and she was like, you are not going to believe what he chose. And she sent me this picture and it was a picture of this terrifying looking it's called the vegan vampire and it's like this blue little soft toy with like like vampire teeth yeah and I was just like oh my god and I've got pictures like I'll show you later I've got pictures literally of him like just like hugging this like little vampire thing and um another client had seen like I'd done a story on Instagram and another client in from Mississippi had seen it and she was like oh my gosh Yes. Yes. And they went and got it. Like she ordered it because she, and now her son's, she's like, he's obsessed. I I got like 10. And it worked. Well, just quickly in summary, if you had to give parents uh, a couple of tips on setting up a healthy sleep foundation, what would the top tips be? Okay. So make sure that you're setting a wake time in the morning, every same, like if you can, the same time every day and a sleep time every time like the same time every day and you kind of want to look at a 12 hour window ish so maybe nine to nine 
okay, um, and then do that shift. Always get some sun on their, like make sure they know the difference that these are the daytime feeds and these are the nighttime feeds. So that day and night confusion and look at a bit of sleep hygiene where you can. And also just when you start seeing them become more aware, just either seek help or start looking at doing things really slowly and gently. Um, yeah, that's that's basically it. Vina, thank you so much for your time You're today. You're so welcome. Thank you. That's Vina Parry. She's a paediatric sleep consultant. She's a paediatric sleep consultant based in Sydney and we'll put links to where you can find out more information about Veena and the work she does in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Debbie Ning and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. We'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.